This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. I'm looking at my game notes right now. I think it was Darren. We were on the one road trip, and you saw my game notes. And uh, I think you winced just at the sight of the scribbling and and, and want to know exactly how anybody could read that. And and I don't blame you. I really don't. That's the general reaction. But I am able to read this with my decoder ring. And as I go through it, I'm looking. And I was trying to figure out, not only was there a total of five sacks by Hassan Reddick, but I have four in the fourth quarter by Hassan Reddick. There was a Gardex sack in the fourth quarter. So for all the things that were great about the tri-state trifecta, as we termed it on the air after the game between beating the New York Giants, the Jets, and the Buffalo Bills, the number was five, was it not, here on Cardinals Underground, Paul Calvisi, Darren Urban, Kyle Odegaard, all brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Who's going to get started, uh, and where do you start, guys? Darren, do you start w- with the tears of joy from Hassan Reddick? Because, yes, the win was imperative and it was paramount and all that, but, man, the game within the game, the Jersey guy making, like, I don't know, the musical Jersey Boys. There's some sort of connection there as well. Save me from myself, Darren. Please talk. I, I have to say <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that it was uh, – I don't know what it is about going up to MetLife Stadium – uh, you know, Chase Edmonds made sure it was the it was the guy going back home to make us all feel good in terms of the first couple times last uh, going to MetLife last year and then this year and 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 now it's Hassan Reddick doing it. But I mean, I, I wrote about it a little bit in one of my uh, blog posts after the game. You know, the guys who were collecting those eight sacks total, Paul. Um, Dennis Gardeck and Marcus Golden and Hassan Reddick, you're not going to find three guys that you want to root for more than those three guys in the locker room. And Hassan Reddick in particular, um, he's a dude that, quite frankly, um, you know, I've known him since he walked in the door, obviously. Uh, I feel like I have a pretty good relationship with him for everything he's been through. And mostly when you want to go talk to him, it's about negative stuff. And that's a tough that's a tough thing sometimes when you go to talk to a guy and that's always what the subject is, but he's always been good with me. He's always been as honest as he can be. I I have a feeling there's a few things under the surface that he probably wishes he could say, but he knows better not to, but at the same time, it's not like he all hid, hid behind a bunch of cliches either. He, he said what he needed to say and he, he took responsibility for not being able to excel a little bit more in the roles they've given him, but you can't, you can't be any more excited for a guy to have a day like that than what you were feeling for Hassan Reddick on Sunday. That is true. I mean, think about it, Kyle. You've been there every step of the way with Hassan Reddick as well. I vividly remember hosting the Cardinals draft party, and he got off 
the helicopter over the Cardinals draft party at uh, then University of Phoenix Stadium. And boom, he comes up on stage and his parents. And I mean, just beaming with pride. And, and it's such a, those are the images I think of. And it doesn't seem that that long ago, but it was in a lot of ways, not just necessarily in time, but in terms of mileage. You know, the old <laughs> saying, it's not the years, it's the mileage. I mean, there's just a lot of miles on Hassan Reddick's journey to get to this point, including the position change, three different defensive coordinators. I mean, all the challenges and degree of difficulty along the way. So maybe that's why there were tears of joy. Maybe that's why all of us are rooting for him to such a degree and found it so gratifying just to watch him achieve what he did. Yeah, it was awesome to see what he did. And you're right. You root for a guy like that. And Hassan Reddick is a first-round pick, but he doesn't have a first-round pick's ego or disposition because of his background in college. He got cut from Temple after his first season, and luckily they had a coaching change, and the new coach brought him back, and then he blossomed into this star in college. But he's always been that underdog-type player, so it was almost a weird thing to see him as a first-round pick. And he, he just exploded athletically in college, and that's why the Cardinals made him that. But I think having to persevere in college really set him up well, because I think a lot of guys going through that their first three years as a first round pick, they would have complained. They would have blamed other people. They would have done a lot of different things. And Hassan Reddick never did. He just, like Darren was saying, he just kept his head down. He didn't complain about anything. He blamed himself for the struggles. He said, I'm not getting it mentally. I, I need to do better. And then he just kept on working and he believed in himself that even though it hasn't worked for three years, hey, I'm going to outside linebacker and everybody else was saying he's too small. Maybe he can be a situational pass rusher, but he's not an every down outside linebacker. And he's proved that completely wrong. It's not like this was a one game thing. He's been a solid player all season. He played 100% of the snaps either two weeks ago or three weeks ago. I mean, every single down they have him in there, he can do everything you want for an outside linebacker. So to see him get five sacks, it really was a tremendous day for him. All right, so let me get this straight. The new record holder in Cardinals team history for single sacks in a game is a former walk-on DB at Temple who got yeah. cut. Right. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. That is awesome. Accurate. That is I mean, crazy. If you think about it, Paul, the eight sacks were collected by like Dennis Gardeck, who was playing <laughs> defensive line in college with a small college at like 210 pounds, a former high school running back, and then Hassan Reddick, uh, the running back being Marcus Golden. I mean, that's when you talk about what this team lost when they lost Chandler Jones and what they're getting out of it, the number of guys that have sacks this year. I mean, Vance Joseph, for all the slings and arrows he's absorbed, he deserves a lot of credit for figuring some of this stuff out. And some of these guys come into play. I mean, look, I mean, we can talk all day about the offense uh, and what it could be and all that stuff. But, I mean, this this was a week for the defense. This was for a week for guys that don't normally get uh, acknowledged a lot. And I don't care if Daniel Jones was hurt and the Giants don't have a great offense. It doesn't matter when you – do what you do when you're a son Reddick and you get five sacks in an NFL game. That means a whole lot. So that's Dennis Bardeck, who started, by the way, at West Virginia State. And then don't say he he, he finished at South Dakota. He finished at Sioux Falls. That Dennis Gardeck. <laughs> think about that. Kyle. And, and I think it's it's a good point to where, yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff has been made about Hassan Reddick moving from inside linebacker to the edge. 
what was even so more surprising to me was moving Dennis Gardeck to the edge because he's even shorter and lighter than Hassan Reddick. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, we all thought he was going to be good on special teams. I never expected him to even play on defense. The fact that he has Neither five sacks he. this season is just incredible. And it was some foresight to move him out there and, and give him a shot at outside linebacker despite being so small. So Wolf and I got into it because Wolf was, was given this James – Harrison comp on Hassan Reddick, which I wasn't really buying. And then we had Hassan Reddick on the Big Red Rage. And Hassan told us that the listed 235 on the roster is not accurate. He's closer to 245 right now. Okay, all right, a little closer to that Harrison body type. Even though Harrison could bench press like 800 pounds, I get it. Uh, but what's the comp for Dennis Gardak now? I mean, honestly, what is – You tell me. Uh, but in the edge, Darren, I mean, I that was crazy. Well, I mean, if you think about it, Paul, and you and I, we, we were on Pat enough. Pat Tillman absolutely would have played on the edge if somebody had asked him to. So there's that. But Actually, you know what? He won Pac-10 Defensive Player of the Year on the edge at ASU, did he not? So he absolutely yeah. won Player of the Year. I'm not I – mean, yeah. I'm trying to remember back then. But, I mean, look, Dennis Gardeck is a guy who – I mean, in a lot of ways there are parallels between him and Reddick from the standpoint of you took guys – that it, look, it was completely understandable why the Cardinals did what they did with Gardeck and Reddick. Now, Gardeck was a guy who, hey, we think we're going to like him on special teams, and he, we really need to have him have a regular position. He's just too small for the edge, so we'll put him an inside linebacker. I don't know how much huge thought went into that. Reddick was drafted. If they if they had thought about drafting Reddick as a pass rusher, he wouldn't have been the 13th pick overall. He was a 13th pick because they saw this athletic marvel and they thought maybe he could be another Daryl Washington or in this case, Isaiah Simmons. That's what they were looking for was another Daryl Washington. And that's why he went so high. And so for the people that are upset that why'd they try him there for so long? Cause that's, that's why they drafted him. That's why they wanted him. It wasn't like they got him in here and said, Oh wait, he's too small to pass rush. Let's put him somewhere else. That's why they wanted him. So but it, it is when you go to Gardick, it's it's an amazing story. And it look, we you can you can get over your skis with the feel-good stories. You can get over your skis talking about want to in this league, whether it's Pat Tillman or Dennis Gardeck or whoever it might be, you have to have talent in this league. There's a Dennis Gardeck's doing it because of want to, but he's got a certain ability as a pass rusher that most people on this planet don't have, even though he's not a huge name in terms of the NFL and Hassan Reddick for whatever you want to say in terms of his size or where he might fit on an NFL field, he's ridiculously athletic. And I think you saw a little bit about that uh, with that with against the giants. I mean, he, he beat his guy badly because of his athletic ability. And that's not something, I mean, he may not be Khalil Mack or James Harrison or whatever, but he does stuff that 99.9999% of the, football players in this world can't do and let the record reflect the reason he didn't excel at inside linebacker and become the next Daryl Washington wasn't because of a lack of athleticism yeah he's fast at least you know especially at 235 he just wasn't playing fast at inside linebacker and there's a distinct difference I vividly remember Larry Foote the former Cardinals linebacker and linebackers coach telling us on a podcast that when Hassan Reddick showed up, he could have taken him out to a Chandler-Hamilton high school football game and as an inside linebacker, couldn't recognize a simple power from the inside linebacker spot. That's the ground zero he was starting at, trying to learn the position. And 
And as any inside linebacker will tell you, and we've all talked to plenty of them, if you hesitate just a half a step, you're done. That's all the offense wants because now the guard is on you. You're blocked. You have to know. You have to have those innate instincts to be able to get off those blocks and get in the right spot at the right time. And it all happens within a split second. And that's what separates and differentiates an all pro from a guy who can't make it at the position. Hence, he's back on the outside. It was just too much after not taking a single snap of that position his entire college career as well. I guess my question is, we were talking about going into the game. He hadn't had a single quarterback sack or quarterback hit since week seven. Is this some sort of uh, anomaly, some sort of feeding frenzy on an immobile Daniel Jones, especially in that fourth quarter? Kyle, have they figured something out on defense? I know a number of DBs that I was talking to on the road trip said they had simplified the coverages not unlike what they did a year ago in December, simplify the coverages, know your assignments, no assignment errors, no mental errors, boom, play fast. It just seemed like everybody knew what their role was and they played accordingly. I think first off, when it comes to Hassan, I feel like he's got a very high floor at outside linebacker because he can drop into coverage. He's able to, against mobile quarterbacks, he can chase them down. He showed it against Russell Wilson. So there's a lot of good things Hassan Reddick can do for you. And, and he holds up against the run better than I thought he would. So I think even when he's not this dominant pass rusher, he's just a very all-around good player at outside backer. And there have been a lot of games this season where he's shown up in the pass rush. So I don't want to call this an anomaly Obviously, getting five sacks in a game is an outlier, and he's not going to do that again ever in his career. Um, <laughs> but I do think, like, getting pressure, he's done that. He had five sacks coming into this game, and they were bunched up early. But it's not like he he was just a, a one-game one wonder by any means. I think Hassan Reddick has been your more, most consistent outside linebacker, and I think he's going to do that the final three games. I, I, it's riveting to me what his value is going to be in free agency because at this point he's a 26 year old who could do a lot of things at outside backer and guys on the edge are very, very valuable in the NFL, especially at that age. So his market going into the season compared to now, I, he's made himself a lot of money and we'll see if, if the Cardinals can negotiate it and keep him or, you know, at this point in the season, he's obviously going to want to hit free agency and see what he can command there. But um, I think he's a key piece. And you're, you're right, Paul. The coverage has been great two of the last three games. That being said, it was against Cam Newton and Daniel Jones. So I think they haven't quite proven that they're a lockdown secondary against good to very good quarterbacks. And I think they need to show that at some point. But you talk about this week going against Jalen Hurts. I certainly feel like the Cardinals secondary should feel good about this matchup. And I expect another nice showing. It's going to be interesting real quick on that free agency for Hassan, because I mean, the bottom line is you get five, six, maybe seven sacks that one five sack game to put him into double digits. I mean, and I'm, I'm not over-exaggerating here. That might've made him millions of dollars that one game because people are looking at a 10 sack guy so much differently than a seven sack guy. It's, it's about the quarterback and getting to the quarterback. Those are the two imperatives. That's where you start in the NFL if you're a GM building your team. And, and, and think about it. There's always that one team, guys. For example, that team a year ago was the Raiders. They had fewer sacks than Chandler Jones as a team after they get, got rid of Khalil Mack. Now, all of a sudden, they're desperate for pass rush. There's going to be that one team. Now, whether Hassan Reddick is their target in free agency, we'll see. 
But uh, yeah, it'd be nice to think, man, Hassan Reddick and Marcus Golden and Chandler Jones in a rotation next year. That's that's pretty fierce. You know, that's formidable. And so um, we'll see. Once again, I just, you know, you look at a Jalen Hurts, you brought up Jalen Hurts, Kyle. And OK, how how able is this defense to go against a dual threat quarterback? He ran it 18 times. If I saw the metric, nine of them, half of them were for first downs. So you're going against a guy who you got to respect. Obviously, that was not the case against Daniel Jones. Typically, it would be. That's something Cliff Kingsbury had cited. But because of the hamstring injury, it was akin to Kyler Murray in week 17 last year at at the Rams. So, okay, yes, he's a rookie, but he presents that dual threat challenge if you're a Cardinals defense. Yeah, you never know exactly how it's going to go with dual threat quarterbacks. We see it every week with Kyler Murray. Sometimes he kills a team with his legs and sometimes he's bottled up. I do think the Cardinals have a a pretty good personnel package when in certain situations you have Hassan Reddick, who we just talked about on the field, Isaiah Simmons on the field, and obviously Buda Baker's on the field every snap. So if you have all three of those guys on the field, they have enough elite speed to track down a Jalen Hurts when he's on the move. So I think he's going to get some yards, obviously, in this game. And I think from a mental processing standpoint, he's probably not there. So I'm guessing he is going to run a decent amount and you don't want him to just gash you consistently. So I think he'll get some runs, but I do think from a personnel standpoint, especially compared to last year, the Cardinals have a lot more speed in important places. And maybe this is an Isaiah Simmons spy game at certain points where you just stick him in the middle of the field and say, Hey, you watch Jalen hurts on this third down. I mean, you have an Eagles team that just ran for a season high 246 yards. An Eagles team just, just ended their own four-game skid. They just snapped the Saints' nine-game winning streak. And it's an Eagles team. And, Darren, we know this. That looks like it's playing for their quarterback. That looks like it welcomed a change at quarterback. There was that tweet or that post-game comment from Miles Sanders. And it pretty much established and confirmed that, yeah, we're all in. And we've been waiting for this change. We all know what a team is like when it goes into a game and it doesn't believe in its quarterback. You can just look at Cardinals history between Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer. It can get a little dicey if you get behind in a game. So I'm expecting an Eagles team to come in that's nothing like what we expected just a couple of weeks ago. First of all, thanks for bringing up those all those thoughts of those number of games when the Cardinals – did not have one of those gentlemen at quarterback, and and it, it just it felt like oh wow the other team got one touchdown. Well, that was a that was an enjoyable game. Game um, over. <laughs> yeah, um, it it really is amazing. I've seen a couple of uh, breakdowns of the games, and and it, it's been less about how well Jalen Hurts played. And I think Jalen Hurts played solid considering it was his first start, but more so how well everybody played around him and how much better they played around him. I mean, it wasn't just Hurts being in the lineup. It it goes back to what you said, Paul, which was, and you can say whatever you want, it looked like those guys worked harder and made a better effort with him at quarterback. And that's kind of scary if you're Carson Wentz and disappointing, but at the same time, um, it's, it's not just that he came in and was this unbelievable player. There was a a rising tide lifting up all boats. And, and the question becomes, it, it makes you think a little bit about a team that gets a coaching change. And that first game, boom, there's always seems to be this little, I mean, look what the Lions did a couple of weeks ago with Daryl Bevel. Um, then all of a sudden, you know, what happens in the second game? Now, the Dolphins came in here with Tua in his 
when he played for the second time and they played pretty well. I, I know he didn't, I don't, he didn't start the week before, but he played pretty well. You know, are the, are the Cardinals ready for this? Because the reality is the Eagles, as bad as it's gone, they still have breathing hopes of, of getting to the playoffs. I don't think it's going to do it with the way Washington's playing, but they don't have to say they're done yet if they can beat the Cardinals. And, you know, the Cardinals have a lot on the line here. For example, you look at the Eagles defense, they pressured Taysom Hill on 17 of his 43 dropbacks, the second highest pressure rate the Saints have given up in a game since 2016. Where does that come from? I mean, out of nowhere, the Eagles defense just comes out and balls and, and they end up getting a win against New Orleans. Uh, you have these, here's one for you. Hertz and Miles Sanders, the first quarterback running back combo to each run for 100 yards in the same game for the Eagles since Donovan McNabb and Deuce Staley in 2002. By the way, Darren, when's the last time you got a Donovan McNabb uh, email in the mailbag? Was there? Any- <laughs> <laughs> just well, you know, speaking of all those years where it wasn't Kurt Warner or Carson Palmer, that's when that really would flare up. Or uh, <laughs> So I'd rather not go back there. With all due respect yeah. to Donovan well, McNabb. And, and, and Kyle, I mean, honestly, the Saints hadn't allowed a 100-yard rusher in 55 games. They allowed two in the quarterback and the running back combo for the Philadelphia Eagles that's now come into town to take on the Cardinals in week 15. Yeah, I mean, unsus- unsurprisingly, I don't really subscribe to the uh, the team is getting a huge boost changing quarterbacks, but I do believe in the mobility of a quarterback really helping a rushing game. And we've seen that with the Cardinals since the day Kyler Murray stepped on the field. Their, their rushing game set a franchise record in yards per carry last year, and it's very close to that number this season, even with the recent struggles. So I think having Jalen Hurts back there is going to help your running game because you have to account for him. That being said, I really like the scheme that Vance Joseph has used this year. I think it can confuse quarterbacks. It confused Russell Wilson, who has a lot of experience in the NFL and Jalen hurts is in his second career game in the NFL. So they're going to have to keep things really simple offensively. And if they get in third and long, I think the Cardinals can feast in this game. So We'll see. I mean, maybe the Eagles are a markedly improved team, but I'm not ready to champion that after one game. Twice. So you're saying you're not willing to crown them yet? <laughs> Small sample size. <laughs> so are, are you also saying that Vance Joseph might be apt to use some of those eight-man line of scrimmages? No one's in a three-point stance. Blitz bail, who's coming, who's going, and maybe try and confuse the, guy, the kid in his second career start? Yeah, I, I think that's been a dynamic – package for them and when you've got a blitzer with the ability of Isaiah Simmons and a blitzer with the ability of Buda Baker and then you can have Byron Murphy coming from the slot or even Devondre Campbell has a couple sacks this season I think there's a lot of athletic guys on that you know second wave or the the third with the defensive backs and I, I just like it and and we've talked about the outside linebackers Dennis Gardeck is part of that package Reddick and Golden there's a lot of guys that can drop or can rush the passer and and that versatility is going to be really hard for Jalen Hurts to dissect you know within two seconds when it's either going to be an all-out blitz or it's going to be a, a some sort of stunt or something or you know a zone blitz where he doesn't know who's dropping and who's coming after him. I thought Byron Murphy played a nice game. I thought Drake Kirkpatrick played a better game. Did the numbers bear that out? Did we get the pro football focus grades? Uh, any of those guys? Yeah, th- those guys, they said they did good. The Drake Kirkpatrick's weren't as good as I thought they would be, but they, they said Patrick Peterson was actually the best among the cornerbacks. He graded out the highest. Interesting. 
by the way, and I don't want to get into this whole sidebar discussion on this one. This is an honest question. I'm not taking a shot at analytics, but how can you not believe in the quarterback change, Kyle, when you go from the guy who's leading the world in turnovers to a quarterback who came in and didn't throw an interception? Doesn't that alone, the almighty analytic that we start with square one, which is turnover takeaway ratio, wouldn't that seem to indicate that there's plenty of value in that quarterback change? The almighty analytic is sample size and you have to make sure that there's a big enough one to realize is this guy truly not turnover prone and if we had four seasons worth of data with Jalen Hurts then I would believe it but we're talking about one game and anything can happen in one game and I think he has a lot to prove he doesn't have the pedigree of being a number one overall pick or even a first round pick so I think when you look back at Jalen Hurts's college career he, he did a lot of good things but he had some games where he struggled so that's why I feel like he still has to prove himself at the NFL level, even though that first game was great. Yeah, this is this is where it really goes all sideways, Paul, because Kyle was sitting there looking at the TV in 2010 going, Max Hall beat the Saints. I don't believe in Max Hall. We don't have a big enough sample size. Moxie my ass. <laughs> Check out the box score from that game and say Max Hall got the win. <laughs> yeah. Jim Omohundro alert. Uh, there's a good quote from Darren. Moxie, my bleep. Uh, that needs to be in a, in a future radio open. So just to let you know, that, that occurred here at the halfway mark, Holmes. If you're looking for something there on Darren, that's a good uh, highlight. That'll work. By the way, last thought about the defense in this matchup in particular as I get the thumbs up from Holmes there via Zoom. That's solid. Honestly, if I'm Doug Peterson and I have a quarterback in a second career start and I'm looking at the Cardinals secondary and I'm looking at the pass rush, that Daniel Jones – just got jack stomped by. And then I'm looking at the Cardinals defensive line, Darren, and I'm seeing a lot of names I don't recognize. And Jordan Phillips is going to be out this week after the recurring hamstring injury. I mean, why not try and replicate 246 yards rushing? You just pulled against a Saints defense that was at the top of the of most rankings in the NFL. I'm guessing the Eagles are going to come out hellbound on running the ball if they don't get behind. I would tend to agree with you on a lot of levels. I mean, Hertz didn't throw for a lot of yards. I think I saw he only threw for like 38 yards in the second half. So it's not like their passing game was all there. And, and you know, you had said something earlier, Paul, about the Eagles defense. The one thing the Eagles do have is a decent defensive line. And so now their offensive line is terrible. And that's, that's where I'm curious to see how that plays out because they just had another injury on one of their offensive linemen. They've struggled there. They're really bad in pass protection, which is another reason why I think they're going to try and run is because they don't have the pass protection there. Um, so the question becomes, is this, does this end up becoming a battle of what these defensive lines end up doing? You just mentioned the Cardinals and all the injuries that they've had and losing Jordan Phillips again. And, uh, and when I say defensive line, I'm talking about the, the big uglies up front, not necessarily the guys on the edge who might be able to pressure Hurts, but can they hold up against that run? And on the other side of the ball, can the Cardinals run the ball a little bit like they did last week? And they were over 160 yards before Kyler started kneeling at the end of the game in rushing yards. And they did a really nice job of bringing that back to where it was earlier in the season. Can they do that kind of damage against the strongest part of Philadelphia's team right now, which is their defensive line? That's true. Jason Kelsey, the starting center, a standout center, has been the only constant, right? I mean, the, both guards and both tackles have been injury prone and swapped out all, all season long. So, yeah, that's a valid point. In fact, I asked Cliff Kingsbury on his weekly TV show game plan, and I said, how vital is it that you have a full game worth of game film on Jalen Hurts? 
And uh, as you might imagine, he didn't elaborate on anything involving game film or X's and O's, but he did said, well, it's better than the alternative, Paul, of not having any game film like the Saints had pretty much going into their game. So there you go. That was some, uh, ne- which brings us to the Cardinals offense and whether indeed we did see significant change. What's your opinion on that, Kyle Odegaard? Um, probably not significant, but I think there was noticeable changes. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins was not lining up strictly on the left side of the formation. And I I think people are misunderstanding that part of it a little bit. I mean, maybe that did take away a little bit from DeAndre Hopkins productivity, but I do think it was helpful for Kyler Murray in that situation when things are pretty black and white when DeAndre Hopkins is on one side, three receivers are on the other, and you can just figure out where that safety is going. And Kyler Murray knows which side of the field he wants to throw to. Um, But considering they weren't getting enough production out of that anymore, I thought it was smart that Hopkins went in the slot. Hopkins went to the right side of the formation. They, they definitely moved him around more in this game. And the under center stuff stood out to me, the, the bootlegs and handing off from under center, So I certainly think there were some adjustments and I'd expect those sort of things to be in the offensive packages moving forward. And it's good because it's just another thing a defense is going to have to prepare for. And Kyler Murray on a bootleg, that's going to stress the defense a lot. So I think it's a good idea. I think Paul, it's it's just quickly to touch on the, the moving Hopkins around thing. And that's, that's the one thing that did bother me a little bit about everybody who saw the, the infamous next gen stats uh, DeAndre Hopkins root tree thing uh, from the loss against the Rams where he was only on the one side. And I've heard Rod Wolfley make this point on, you know, his radio show many times. I mean, there's nuance to this as, as all those years when the Colts were awesome, they lined up their receivers the same place every time and they were perfectly successful. It, just because he lines up in one place doesn't mean it's a terrible idea. Now, if it's not working, you need to do some things to fix it. And I do think they made that effort and made some of those adjustments there too. But in itself, DeAndre Hopkins staying in the same place and maybe like Kyle was saying, giving Kyler a little bit more comfortability of knowing where his best receiver is all the time isn't the worst thing in the world, but they needed to do some things. I I do think uh, as Kyle wrote about on on azcardinals.com earlier this week, I mean, I do think they need to figure out some things of guys catching the ball beyond DeAndre Hopkins. It's, it's great if he's getting 10 catches. It's important if he's getting 10 catches. But, you know, I feel like Christian Kirk has kind of disappeared in a lot of ways. Dan Arnold has made some big catches, but in terms of volume, it's not like they're targeting him a whole bunch. So I, I feel like they need to find a little bit more balance in the passing game to really uh, put some fear into other teams. Because as I go back to my game log and my notes here, and, and I buy myself some time to read my own writing by mentioning we're brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. You look at that drive, Kyle. It was 11 plays, 77 yards. That's right, Kyle. Take a drink. This is going to take a minute. There was a completion to Christian Kirk. There was one to D-Hop. There was a Kenyon Drake big run. There was a, a run by Chase Edmonds. There was a pass to Max Williams. In other words, everyone got involved. And and to me, when the Cardinals have gotten a win, you see, like you did in this game against the Giants, eight or nine different receivers on the receiving end making catches from Kyler. When different guys are involved and and it's somewhat organic and it kind of comes to him and he's finding the guy that's open at different times, that just seems to me to indicate the Cardinals offense at that point is really functioning at its best akin to that 11-play, 77-yard touchdown drive. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I get that train of thought, and I, I don't disagree with it, but I also feel like this offense would be better if they had that number two. To, like, I feel like Christian Kirk was going to have a bigger season. I thought after what he did in camp, and then he started a little slowly with the injury, he came on pretty strong for four or five weeks there, and he was a big-time target. And the last four or five weeks, it hasn't been there. And I, I feel like if you have – DeAndre Hopkins on one side making plays. And if Christian Kirk is on the other side, consistently having these big catches and really drawing the attention of the defense, then it naturally trickles down to the guys you mentioned. And then it really helps the offense. But I think the passing game hasn't clicked to what we thought it would be. And to me, that's because there's not that clear cut number two target. That's making a lot of plays, either making contested catches, making plays yards after the catch, there isn't a guy that's kind of broke it out. And I personally thought that was going to be Kirk. He hasn't quite done it yet. He's averaging fewer yards per game this season than he did even as a rookie. You know, that opening drive against the Giants where it stalled at the one-yard line after the Marcus Golden strip sack, if you go back to the second down play, once they got first and goal, it was Christian Kirk on the jet sweep, the handoff. Didn't we not all see that? The moment he got the ball, you're thinking, touchdown. And somehow he didn't get in. And I thought of the last drive before halftime in New England where they got stuffed on fourth and goal from the six-inch line. It had to go into the halftime with zero points coming out of that drive. On the second down play of that drive, Christian Kirk had dropped a touchdown pass. So I'm with you guys. If you, I don't know if it's a matter of targeting him early. Does he need action early? Does he need to get into the game? Do you need to throw him some bubble screens to get him going? Whatever you can do to get Christian Kirk going, I completely agree with you. Unless – for some reason, he doesn't excel as much against zone coverage. That's the only thing I can think of. You know, Larry seemingly does a great job. DeAndre Hopkins did a great job finding the soft spots in the zone. Is Christian Kirk not quite experienced enough to excel in that area, Darren? I don't know. That's just me thinking out loud. Well, I, I certainly can't speak to that. I, I That part, I don't know. And it was nice to see, quite frankly, Christian Kirk be able to um, make a couple of big punt returns, which I thought helped. Special teams was – uh, so good. In fact, they had that rough game against the Patriots. And I think the last two games they played really, really well, uh, especially in the coverage units. And, and again, Christian Kirk made a couple of nice punt returns uh, in that game. And I thought that helped them. And I just I, I think, like Kyle said, I just I think he's one of their dynamic people on this roster. And I think he can help this team in, in more ways than he is right now. And, and you just you hope that that can keep moving in the right direction. Dan Arnold, uh, did I see right that Travis Kelsey leads all receivers in receiving yardage, a tight yeah. end? I mean, is there any reason Dan Arnold can't continue this upward trend, Kyle? I mean, to what degree? We all want to see Christian Kirk involved a little more. How about that tight end, number 85? Yeah, I think he's he's done a nice job in his reps. I'd hesitate hit to even put him in the same ballpark as Travis Kelsey or any of the top tight ends at this point. I think he's got a ways to go with that, but he, he's certainly a guy who Kyler Murray seems to be developing a, a nice chemistry and relationship with. He's, he's got pretty good hands. He can move pretty well. Um, but I mean, you still look at the numbers overall and it's not like he's, he's had an outstanding statistical season. So I don't want to make too big of a deal out of touchdown catches uh, they were nice plays, but as far as from predictive value, I'm not sure how much that means going forward. Um, but he is another guy like you're searching for 
a number two standout weapon. And if it's not Christian Kirk, can Dan Arnold fill that void? Uh, I'm not sure at this point, but I, I do feel like it'd be nice for somebody to step up and give them that 50, 60 yards a game consistently. Uh, you know, and when it comes to Dan Arnold, you know, and again, I, I know there are times when he's lined up as a true tight end and everything. He's not always necessarily split out a little bit, but they do do that with him. I feel like when you watch this offense and you watch this team, when people ask about where Larry Fitzgerald's targets have gone, I think that's where they've gone. I mean, if you think about the kind of targets that Larry Fitzgerald would get, I feel like those are the Dan Arnold targets down in the end zone or in, in the intermediate area. I mean, obviously Larry's still out there, um, but it feels like when you talk about proportionally putting this stuff out there, I think that's, it feels like that's those, those are the kind of catches that Larry would normally be making for you. You know, speaking of Larry in his prime, right. He used to go up and above guys. I mean, Dan Arnold is six foot six. If I see him on a DB under six foot, I mean, just keep it simple. Just throw it to him. Just, just throw it up. Just, just go basketball, throw him the lob, just feed him in the post, just throw it above the little guys. And honestly, at this point, when he made that catch, on third and goal and Kyler's backpedaling and he, he mossed four DBs and caught it above their head. I thought of his first impression, his first week of practice where supposedly the antidote goes, he's, he's a practice squad guy. They pick up from the saints and he's just going up and above everyone at practice and yanking down balls in the end zone. I mean, nobody's stopped it yet. Just, just keep feeding the guy. I, honestly, if you're looking to solve your red zone woes now going into the game, the Cardinals are atop the NFL and red zone touchdown percentage, but not against the giants, just two of seven. And luckily for them, Mike Nugent went four for four on field goals. Oh, that might be foreshadowing to an upcoming topic. Uh, as for as for Dan Arnold, I mean, what do you think, Kyle? Is there should they be, you know, using not just targeting more, but targeting more in that manner? It just seems like uh, what the players would call barbecue chicken. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if there's a six inch height difference in certain situations, it makes sense. I don't think it's going to be a staple of the offense by any means. I mean, like you said, the red zone before this game was perfectly fine. It was very impressive. I think moving forward with their personnel, with a, a mobile quarterback, it's going to be fine. So I, I think, hey, if you get that matchup and and you like a jump ball to Dan Arnold because he's got a huge height advantage, go for it. But I don't think you're going to be designing a lot of things to to put him in that situation. I mean, it's it's easier said than done to consistently catch those type of passes. I mean, there aren't a lot of fades thrown in the NFL for a, for a reason because they aren't super efficient. I think you have to be in the, in the right situation to make those work. All right. So Darren, earlier you dropped Daryl Washington. These things happen in threes, Daryl Washington, lightning rod. Uh, I brought up Donovan McNabb, lightning rod. Now we get to the kicker question. So there you go. <laughs> These things happen in threes. Uh, how many kicker questions have you fielded in the mailbag this week? Uh, you know what? There weren't a whole lot in the mailbag per se, but I will say that there was a resounding uh, response on Twitter when the news came out that Zane Gonzalez wasn't going to be able to play with his back injury and they were bringing in Mike Nugent or promoting him from the practice squad. And look, I, I get where everybody is on that. Um, you know, I, I think Mike Nugent is a solid replacement when you're in this situation. You know, I think we saw with a 55-yard attempt, it was just a little short at, at Nugent's age. I don't know how far he really – what kind of range he has and everything he converted in the game. And this isn't to take anything away from him, but that's – Zane Gonzalez has done the same thing all year. Inside 40 yards, Zane Gonzalez hasn't missed either. So, 
you know, look, I get where the frustration is for the fans, but uh, until we see Nugent make a couple of, of those 48, 49 yarders that we don't even know if he's got the leg for still, um, you know, I, I think you need to be careful what you wish for. And I think there's just a lot of displaced anger for a team. Uh, and don't get me wrong, Zane Gonzalez has got to make more than he had in those situations. But at the same time, guys aren't going to make everything. I mean, this kickers aren't going to make 100%. I just saw, uh, as we're sitting here on my Twitter feed, somebody put uh, together a highlight highlight reel, in quotes, uh, of the eight mixed, missed extra points in the NFL around the league this past weekend. I mean, there really? were eight missed extra points. Wow. Every every fan base expects their kicker to make every single extra point, even though it's you know not necessarily a gimme. And there's going to be misses. I mean, that's the kicking game. And I think people forget that sometimes. And the fact that the Cardinals are close enough that a single field goal means that much, it just puts more emphasis on it. But I, I think that also goes to some other things than just what the kicking game is. Is Zane Gonzalez a more talented kicker right now? I think we all agree the answer there is yes. But where is he mentally? Only they know. Only behind the scenes do they know where, where Zane Gonzalez is mentally with the confidence. So, you know, that combined with the fact that, you know, Come on now. We know how the world works. You know, it's good to have friends in high places. And when Nugent is a former teammate of the head coach, well, <laughs> you know, that goes a long way. How about that for a knowledge drop in the postgame presser, by the way? That, that I mean, that's were teammates. That's 2005. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury has wistfully talked about his aborted NFL career for a few times and how much he wishes he could have kept playing. And to think he's still, I mean, Take that away for a minute, Paul. We the the last time the Cardinals won a division under uh, Ken Wisenhunt in 2009, Mike Nugent kicked for that team. He replaced right. Rutgers for two games. Two games, that's and right. and now you're bringing them back again. That's that's crazy. I mean, it's a very interesting question. Like you guys have talked about, like, would you rather have Mike Nugent, who has shown good accuracy? albeit, like I said, small sample size uh, in that first game, but he was knocking him right through from inside 40. And what what is his realistic range? Is it not more than 50, 51 yards? I mean, can you have an NFL kicker who can't hit outside of 50 yards ever because he doesn't have the leg strength? It's a tough question. And like you said, Paul, where is Zane Gonzalez mentally? He's obviously got a bigger leg. He's, he's, you know, kick for kick in no pressure situations, he would probably make more in the long run than Mike Nugent. But with three games left, with how important game winning kicks are, who do you trust more? And can you keep Mike Nugent knowing he doesn't have the same powerful leg as Zane Gonzalez? It's, it's a very intriguing question for the last three games. And, and then if they make the playoffs. Kickoffs weren't a problem, right? I don't – kickoffs, he wasn't short on kickoffs. There wasn't a, a lack of leg power on kickoffs, or was there? I, I'll be honest with you. I, I may not have been paying as much attention as I should have during kickoffs. I can't remember. I don't think they were great. I mean, I, I think it's, it was pretty obvious. He doesn't have the same juice in his leg as, as Zane Gonzalez. By the way, speaking of the head coach, uh, I asked him now, what does Lincoln Riley do? Because he has two former Heisman winning Oklahoma quarterbacks in this game. Who is he pulling for? And Kingsbury quickly answered, oh, no, 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 no. I'm a former teammate of Lincoln Riley, so he better be pulling for the Cardinals. So there was another knowledge drop I forgot about, that the two of them were teammates at Tech. 
So you're basically saying that Cliff has been a teammate of somebody somewhere every, no matter who we run into. Is that the deal? He's, he's name dropping. He's been name dropping, whether it's Nugent or Lincoln Riley. I, I guess so. You know, I, I, I don't know at this point. Um, so I, I will say this. Uh, I don't like the Rams sitting there in week 17, the final game of the year, and you're 0-7 against Sean McVay. So down the stretch, the Cardinals come. And this Eagles team is going to play hard, just like, just like we figured the Giants would play hard. And so guess what? Cardinals took care of them, made some early plays, set a tone. Marcus Golden coming out there. And, you know, it was great. The, the anecdote from Marcus was that after he had the strip sack and he took down Daniel Jones, there was a break in the action, a TV timeout a little bit later in the first quarter. He said, hey, you good? You all right? And Daniel showed, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good junk and he said good because i'm coming again and so that was that was marcus golden which was solid and so you know but to me i think you're gonna have to do that again kyle you have to do that against this eagles team that's been enthused and revived and you figure they're gonna come out and and play hard and so you you better be able to match that because we've seen a roller coaster of a season so far for the cardinals sometimes when it comes to energy and intensity yeah, I mean, you're playing for your playoff lives. I, I can't imagine the Cardinals are going to be flat in this game. And if they are, that's a huge indictment on every single player on the team if that happens, because you're sitting here where, like you said, Paul, if if you win these next two games against the, the Eagles and the Niners at home, two winnable games, you're going to be definitely in the catbird seat to make the playoffs, maybe clinch after that too, depending on what other things happen in the NFL but I think the way we're looking at it, you have to get both of these and then we'll see what happens in the Rams game if you need it or not. But in order to take a lot of the anxiety out of it, you need to beat both of these teams. And certainly in aggregate, the Cardinals have been a better team than the Eagles this season. They've been a better team than the Niners this season. I, I think the Cardinals are a above average team for sure but we've seen them lose some close games. And if either of these next two are close and it's a kicking issue or a turnover or something happens and they lose, it's just going to be a gut punch. So I, I just feel like they have to take care of business in, in a pair of games that uh, honestly they should be able to take care of business in. And you know what, to come full circle here on uh, Cardinals underground brought to you by Pacific office automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Guess what? Hassan Reddick is from Philly, right? So yep. boom. Here you go. The Eagles are coming to town. They have a really banged up, uh, dare we say, bad offensive line. Now, the quarterback is much more mobile, obviously. It's going to be much tougher to get to Jalen Hurts, you would think, but he's still a rookie. And if he's confused by some of these Vance Joseph coverages and he's a little bit indecisive, then uh, look out. Hassan Reddick uh, might be poised for an encore here if there's something about him going home or get, playing against his hometown team. That's all I'm saying. All I know is five more, five more sacks. In conclusion, all I'll say is this, is that, uh, you know what, I was living vicariously through his homecoming because every time, even though I've lived here 25 years plus, every time I go home back to the Silicon Valley, I, 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 my confidence is destroyed by the fact that basically boneheads I went to high school with are now worth tens of millions of dollars because they work for Apple and they have stock options with applied materials or some other Silicon Valley company that they got in on 20 years ago. And uh, all these bones in, in the house that, that my dad bought for $150,000. If I wanted to buy it back right now, it cost me 2.4 in some middle-class suburb in San Jose. So, you know what? At least somebody's having a good homecoming. Was that a little too personal? I'm sorry. No, that wasn't too personal. Here, I will, we'll, we'll take it off of that real quick, Paul. I just want to give a shout-out to our, our celebrity uh, listener, Will Leach, 
the guy who invented Deadspin. He's a he's a faithful listener of Cardinals Underground. Big fan of yours, Paul. So we we've got that going for us. Well, speaking of cashing out, I mean, my good Will Leach, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> he's got something. You know, he's probably listening from the Country Club. I'm guessing at this point, right? <laughs> We're talking about a lot of millionaires, and it's not us or his twelve car garage. By the way, I'll leave you with this. I'll do my own name drop. So I ran into Larry on, in the team hotel when everybody's doing a lot of nothing and it's basically quarantine. I said, Larry, come on now. Do you really do redo your estate plan and your will? And he's like, yeah. And, and he kind of gave me that look like, keep walking, Calvisi. And I said, I said, I said, Larry, I got you. there's only one question when you redid the will. Which car did you leave me? Which car out of the collection did you leave me? And he gave me a death stare and I said, okay, he's ready for game day. And that'll do it for Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals.